So this is actually our last message for this uh, sermon series. Uh, for those of you who've been tracking with us, uh, I hope that it's been a blessing to you. We've been talking a lot about what it means for us to go beneath the surface. We talked a lot about how the gospel is aimed not just to go to the head. It's really aimed deep down into every nook and cranny of our hearts. That God wants to do a deep work. That he not just save us so that we will act like Christians, but genuinely saves us to be Christ-like followers, disciples of Christ. And so today, as we wrap up all the things we talked about, I, uh, we're going to talk about this topic of growing into a spiritually mature adult. Growing into a spiritually mature adult. This passage, for many of you, are familiar passage. And by the way, I chose we chose these passages for this series for most of the more familiar passages because I think we've all, many of us have gone through these passages. But we want to help you to get a little deeper into uh, seeing that as a way for God, the gospel to cut deep into our hearts. Today, we particularly want to talk about what does it mean for us to grow into a spiritually mature adult. Now, looking out here in the in my in my screen, many of us are not adults yet. There are a good portion of us are adults, but not every one of us are adults. Primarily, many of you are not. And so, uh, one good news for you is this: that regardless of how old uh, physically you may be, the gospel has such transformative power that our spiritual maturity does not depend on our physical age. That there is a way for you to grow into a spiritually mature adult, even though maybe physically you are not an adult yet. And that's the good news. But the bad news is it does take time. It does take being with God. It is not an automatic thing that will happen. But I want to begin today asking you this question. And you, you can think really about the answer to this question in, in your heart. And, and, and um, the question I want to ask you is this. What makes someone an adult? What makes someone an adult? Like for those of you who are adult, you know, that we might have a little more experience about that. For those of you who are younger, you've seen adults, you deal with adults probably day in, day out, right? You're at home with your family. Think about it. What makes someone an adult? Is it just because of their age? Is it just because of uh, their experiences in life? Is it just because how tall they get to, their size, um, how many years they live on earth? Is it about the amount of knowledge that makes someone an adult? That the more you know, the more, the more adult you are. Or is it more about you have a family, you have, you, 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 you have certain uh, possessions? What makes us ultimately an adult? I think the most obvious answer is by age. But we've also come across experiences, at least I have, that there are people who are, who have lived a long time, but in actuality, they actually don't act like adults. I've seen full grown physical adults argue over a very small thing like a shopping cart. That a grocery store, one put a hand on it, the other adult put their hand on it, and they both said they got it. And they were uh, jostling just for an, a, a shopping cart, wanting to get that cart, even though there are 20 other ones right next to it. You see, we can be an adult by age, and yet not live truly as an adult. And the same thing is true for us spiritually. 
that we may be Christians for a very, very long time, yet we can potentially still be a spiritual infant. And so all the things we've talked about up to this point about uh, beneath the surface is to help us to grow, not just be a Christians for a long time, but really we're getting to the core of growing to be a spiritually mature adult. Again, the good news is that you don't have to be old age-wise to be a spiritually mature adult. But there is a true mark of what it means to be a spiritually mature adult as we look at this story today from Luke chapter 10. Let me just get the cat out of the back right here. The, the true mark of someone who's spiritually mature is more than just doing um, spiritual discipline. In fact, the true expression, the true mark of a spiritually mature adult actually is defined by how they interact with other people. In fact, you can think about that for generally uh, what an adult really is. Adult is someone who doesn't stop thinking so much about themselves, but start helping others, who, who love others, who have other people's interests in mind. A child is always about himself or herself. As you grow up as a youth, you start thinking a little bit about other people. Like for many of you youth, you know that you should do something and help other people, but there's still a strong pull to do it on your own, to do things for yourself. And as a young adult, as we grow to become adult, we start learning that my life is no longer about me. And in the spiritual sense, it is the same exact thing. That being spiritually mature as an adult, spiritually mature adult, means that our focus Our relationship with others is marked by love, sacrifice, and mercy. Luke chapter 10, today's passage, tells us that there is this lawyer who showed up to Jesus. Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bible again, open it there. We won't show it on the screen here, but you can follow along. Mark chapter 10, verse 25, this lawyer, supposedly know the law very well, showed up to Jesus and wanted to test Jesus. And he asked this question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And verse 26, Jesus said this, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Then the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, as he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And so here, this lawyer was testing Jesus, asking him, how do you get eternal life? He's asking something that is a vertical value, a lawyer who wants to know God, who wants to give himself life to God, who wants to gain eternal life, only what God can give to him. And yet when we look at the answer, what Jesus said to him was, the way to have eternal life is, yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Which, by the way, this lawyer, as a Jewish lawyer, would have known, would have memorized from, from he was uh, since ch- his childhood, he would have memorized Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. He knew this verse. He knew this is how to get eternal life. But what he didn't realize, what, what Jesus is surfacing to him, is that what he's lacking is not that he wants God, that he wants eternal life, that he wants spiritually maturity, but he, what he missed out on is he doesn't see the spiritual maturity is related to the way we relate to other people horizontally. 
here's the point I want to share with you is this loving God is intricately connected with loving others. Loving God can never be separated with loving others, other human beings, other people around us, strangers, neighbors, families, coworkers. Loving God is tied into the way we love God is tied into the way we love others to love one another in a church, love one another to those who are, who love others who are in need. It is very interesting because when you look at Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus responds to this lawyer. This is actually two separate law, two separate commands from two different places in Deuteronomy. And yet notice how Jesus tied them together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. See, there's an intentionality by Jesus to tie that loving God vertically must tie into loving others horizontally. That is the mark of what it means to be a spiritually mature adult. Jesus did not separate those two and said, this is the first one, this is the second one. Jesus tied them in together. In fact, and your neighbor as yourself is actually a completely different command if you go back to Deuteronomy, is is a lot longer than that. But Jesus tacked onto that to make sure that the that the the lawyer understood that what in order to be spiritually mature, in fact, in order to have spiritual life with Jesus, it must be expressed. Yes, we need to have faith in Jesus. Yes, we're saved by faith through uh, by grace through faith. But that faith must transform us into a mature, spiritually mature adult that will love others. See, the lawyer was trying to get out of that. This is the reason why, uh, this is the reason why Jesus is pointing out to them because he later on in the passage, this, uh, th- this lawyer was asked, who is my neighbor? This, this lawyer really wanted to love it, wanted eternal life, but he's not so much interested to getting to, uh, to love other people. You know, think about it. Let's be honest. It is easier for me to be spiritual with God. Read the Bible, pray. You know, if I don't do it, God will forgive. You know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus never sinned and he never rubs me in the wrong way. And if he does rub me in the wrong way, it's usually, is always my fault anyway. Right? I can ask God for forgiveness, you know, and all that. But yet that's not the case to the people around us. The people around us are all sinners. In fact, I'm a sinner. People are annoying. They criticize us. They always show up at the wrong time in the wrong place when I'm in the middle of something. They ask for help when I'm needing in my own trouble and having to take care of my own stuff. You see, it is easier to quote unquote to be spiritual, to be spiritual between me and God. But instead, Jesus said, if you are really spiritually mature, you're not just, it is not just about me and you, but it is going to flow through between you and others. Loving God is intricately connected with loving others. Notice the story here when the lawyer asked him, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Three people walk by. They're this man who was robbed by these robbers. They were stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving half dead. And then three men walk by him. The first person walked by him is a priest, a priest, pretty much someone like me, a pastor who knows the scripture. In fact, they memorize chunks of scriptures, books of scriptures. That priest walked by and you know the story. 
The priest walked down that road in verse 31. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He looked and he walked away. In fact, he didn't just walk away. He walked across the street. That there's a second guy who is a Levi. Levi is someone who works in the temple, who takes care of the temple, various tasks, cleans the temple, make sure the sacrifices are made appropriately, uh, cleaning and all that stuff, take good care of the temple. Again, presumably should be a very spiritual person. Yet when he saw the guy who is who got robbed, who is left half dead, half uh, fully naked, almost all naked, and and half dead on the street, probably bleeding and hurting and whimpering, you know what that guy did? What the Levi did? Exactly what the priest would have done. The priest, the Levi, the two people who are supposed to be loving God, who are supposed to be spiritually mature, yet they saw the man who is half dead, who are in need. Look at the person walk across the street. Then Jesus said, there is this third man who is a Samaritan. Samaritan are people that the Jews do not like. Samaritans are people that they that they have a serious racial tension against between the Jews and Samaritan. They don't like each other. They are furthest away from me. They, they're trying to walk away from each other, separate from each other. And yet Jesus says in this parable, the Samaritan, when he's walking down in verse 33, he came to where that man was and when he saw him, he had compassion. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wound and poured oil and wine, set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The two people who are supposed to be spiritual did not live spiritually mature. The two people were supposed to love God, yet they didn't, he, they did not love others. And yet the man who truly loves God is the one, the, the one who actually showed care and concern for others. Here's one of the biggest danger, dangers that we face as we talk about beneath the surface. The last six weeks, we talked a whole lot about what God can do in your life, what the gospel is going to do in your life. It would be so easy for us to be selfish about that. Oh, yes, God's going to uh, uh, cleanse me and identify this, the pattern of sins in my family so that I can work through that. Yes, God's going to be with me through the tough time of my life, through the wall when I'm journeying through the wall. God's going to be with me. Oh, yes, every day I'm going to spend three times a day to be with God. You can become so easily self-centered. We can so easily be living the loving God part and not realize that a spiritual mature adult is not just going to be around about loving God. A spiritually mature adult must let the love of God flow into love toward others. We can let potentially let the gospel work in our lives so much that sometimes we forget there ought to be an outlet to the things that God has called us to do toward others. So don't ever get confused. Don't ever just feel inspired by God and yet not be transformed by God. You see, God is not in the business of just inspiring us. God wants to transform us from within so that we can become a channel of blessing for others. We can show love to others. God doesn't want to change your 90% underneath so that you will not be, just so make it all about you. 
See, as we talked about go, uh, knowing ourselves so we may know God, we're just not getting to know ourselves. It, through our experience of knowing ourselves, we help others to get to know themselves so that they know God's way, a unique design of their lives. We're helping them to know themselves too so that they will know God. As we talk about going backwards so that we can go forward, looking at our family past and patterns and, and, and behaviors and sins, we're not just digging up uh, dirty laundry in our own family. We're, as we walk through that and be, be redeemed by God, see how God worked through those things, we can come alongside with uh, help to help others, to perhaps share with them some of the blind spot that they, they have yet to see in their own family. And, and share with them the hope that Jesus has for them as they surrender these pain, hurt, and disappointment. See, as we talk about journeying through the wall, we're not just talking about how God had delivered me. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, G, God, uh, Paul, uh, God through Paul wrote this, that God is the, is the God of all comfort, not just to comfort us. You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to use the comfort that we experience to comfort those who are going through the same thing. It is one of the most beautiful things I remember. One a brother that's not in our church lost his mother. And another brother in our church happened to uh, unfortunately lost his own mother. And uh, in a conversation with the brother who are not in our church, I shared with him uh, what's going on. And, and that brother said, would you allow me to go talk to this brother who just lost his mother? <clears throat> because I know exactly the frustration. I know the anger, the denial that he's going through because I've just gone through that a year ago and I'm still being healed by God, but I want to reach out. And you see, that's what loving God means. That's what being spiritually mature means that we're not just make it about ourselves, but that we go show love toward others. So what does it mean to love others? Jesus gave us this picture of what it means to love others. The Samaritan is the, the person who actually shows love and mercy. I want to give us uh, just a framework of what love means. It's very simple. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus tells us loving others requires to do three things. Three simple things, but things that are hard. Three very simple things. I think all of us are, are as we have been saved by grace through faith, we've been changed by God. We are able, equipped, and empowered to do, yet those are the hard things to do. So here's the first thing that we're called to do. The Samaritan journey, the first thing we're called to do to love others, to show mercy to others is this, that we need to see others. We need to see the people around us. We need to look at the people around us and notice who they are. We need to see through who they are. We need to see their needs. We need to see, recognize them. We need to know that we need to see them. Going back to the passage, the first thing, but the Samaritan, uh, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. The other two, the priest and the Levite, both saw the guy. Saw the guy who is half dead, naked, being robbed. He, a person who is in need. The first two men saw them, the Levite, the priest, supposedly spiritual people saw him. But they did nothing. They walked across the street. But the Samaritan really, really saw him. He saw him as a person. 
He saw him as a person who was in need. He didn't see him as an interruption to his schedule. Now, the Bible does not tell us why the priest and the Levite kept going. But let's speculate a little bit here, right? Maybe they're on the way to the temple. Maybe the Levite was late for work. He needed to show up. Maybe the priests are thinking about the next Bible study that he needed to lead. Maybe he's working on his memory verse, the chapter he's supposed to memorize for the day. Maybe they're on the way to, to take care of somebody else. There can be a million reasons why they were too busy to really see the man who is half dead, naked on the road, being robbed by someone. But the Samaritan saw. He saw this man in a Genesis chapter 1, 27, 28 way. Genesis chapter uh, chapter 1. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created him. The Samaritans saw this person as a he, not an it. The Samaritan saw the half-dead naked man who got robbed as a person made in the image of God. He was not just some barrier. He was not just some interruption. He saw a man precious in God's sight being robbed, being, being, uh, being beaten, being attacked, being hurt. He saw a man uh, that wrong was done to him. And he saw him so clearly, the, the, the tragedy and all of that, the, the person being hurt in the image of, uh, the person in the image of God being hurt and wounded so much. The verse says it, he had compassion. The, comp- the word compassion in the original text is a very graphic word. It means that it is, it is this, this bot, this stirring from the gut. It's almost like, oh, he got punched by, the, by someone in the gut. He feels so bad. That is the way we see people. We would not feel so, so empathetic and sympathetic toward us unless we really see them the way that God will see them. Here's a question for you and I to think about. If we are to love those around us, how often do we really see them? Do we just see them as interruption to our schedules? Do we see them as just stepping stones to the things we want? Do we see them as tools that we can use, projects that we can, we can contribute to make ourselves feel better? What do we, how do we see the people around us? Because the way you see them will determine what you do to them. And when we see people who are made in the image of God, precious in God's sight, who are being hurt, who are being wounded, who are being uh, disenfranchised, when we truly see them the way God sees them, Like when Jesus saw the crowd in Matthew 9, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And here the Samaritan saw them, saw the the man who had been, he said, he started having a compassion. So that's the first thing we need to do. We're to love. Love means that we must first see people the way God sees people. But not just seeing them because we also know that after he saw them, he did something. He go, he went over to him. Following verse 34, after he saw him in compassion, it says, says the Samaritan went to him. He went to him. Four short words. 
but a powerful, powerful action. Again, going back to the priest and the Levite, they looked at him, they saw him, guess what they did? First, they did not see him as a man, a person who's created an image of God who are in need. And so subsequently, you know where they went? They went across the street. It says they passed by, they walk across and pass by him. Both of them, they pass by him. They go down that road. They, they saw them and pass by onto the other side. You see, there's something to be said when we see some, when we start seeing people the way God see them. People who are broken by sins, people who are, who are in desperate need, people who are in need spiritually, physically, emotionally. When we see them the way God sees them, we need to walk toward them, not away from them. It is so easy for us to walk away from people. To love someone means we're going to walk toward them, go toward them. See what happens when you walk toward them? When the Samaritan walked toward this guy? It's our personal, you start seeing more. Because standing in front of him would be this man who's bleeding, who perhaps would have bruises. A frail man, maybe he can even hear the whimpering, just help, help. We, he, when you get close, we run toward those who are in need. You start smelling, hearing, feeling the things that they're going through. Here's the question I want to ask you. How often do you go toward people who are in need rather than walking away from them? Is it to be a spiritually mature adult? Someone who's been transformed in the 90% underneath the, this iceberg means that we are, we have the faith. We have the, the, the love to walk toward those who are in need. Sometimes it is easier to throw money. To a problem, though money is needed for many, many, uh, many ways that to to help support other people. But think about it. Sometimes it's so easy to just throw money at it because we can donate money, we can donate goods. But it's altogether different when you bring those goods that you are about to donate and walk toward and go to the people who are actually in need. It changes you. Because no longer are you doing at a distance, but now you're up close, you're personal. You're going out of the comfort, your comfort zone, you're, you're there. And so to love someone means that we need to not only see, we need to go toward them. Again, I want to ask you, where do you go frequently? Do you go away from problems that people have or do you go toward them? Do you go and, and make yourself available to meet their needs? Or do you go to places where you can get your needs met? If we were to be honest, many times we are just like the priest and the Levi, aren't we? We just kept going to where things we get to get instead of going to people and places where we give. To give sacrificially. To give above and beyond. To give generously. See, loving means we must first see. But we must also go. Here's the third one. We must do. Here the Samaritan did not just see the man being half dead. He did not just go there toward him. Verse 34. He went to him. He just just don't stare down at him. He looked. He went to him. Look at what it says in verse 34. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him 
on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave him, gave them to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I love this picture because we see here this, this generosity of this Samaritan. He took care of him. He bound him the way he, he knows how to. He poured oil. He bound him in his wound, give him a bandage, pour oil and wine, keep it from being infected. He could have stopped right there and kept going, but no, he kept going. Then above and beyond, he sent him on his own animal, which means that he has to walk himself and took him to the inn and took care of him some more. We don't know what that entail. That might entail just giving him water, buying him food. But he was there, but he was not there. And then he just left. Verse 35, and the next day he took out two. That means that he implied that he probably stayed there overnight with him to make sure that he got what he needs. And then the next day he took two denarii, which means two days worth of, of wages. To give to the innkeeper and say, do whatever you need to take care of him. If he's not enough money, I will give you more when I return. We see the generosity of love that he has shown to this man who supposedly not get along with him because he is of Jewish descent. And see, love means we're going to do and give in such a way that is generous, that is sacrificial. But on the other hand, what I see is really amazing is that he gives out of, he knows with he respects his own limit. You see, the Samaritan did not just give his own life and just take him all. He, he gives generously but also honoring his own limit, also recognizing his own limit. He didn't stay there for days on and on. We don't even know when he's going to come back. But you, no one would look at this story and say, wow, this guy is so stingy. He, didn't, he only barely took care of this guy. No, we see a, 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 an outpour of generosity, and yet he, he realized that there's limit in his own helping of this man. He's going to go on. He will come back. He's not a doctor. He's not a nurse. He does it the best he could to take care of him. He gave even money for the innkeeper to take, to be, to be of service to this man. And so loving others does not mean that we're going to lose ourselves, but yet it does mean that we need to be generous and sacrificial in loving others. So as we think about what it means to love others, if loving others is a true mark, of a spiritually mature adult. Then we must learn, continue to learn to go see the people around us, to go to them who are in need and do the things that will meet their needs, both either physically, emotionally, spiritually, and all the while recognizing our own limit. So then the question is, how do we do that? Because if there's one point to this passage, Jesus made it clear. He did not hide the truth. He did not hide it in sand. He said in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. How can we be spiritually mature to continue to grow, to be this type of people who love others, who see others, who go, and also who do? I want to just suggest to us two things. The first one is this. This is a call for us to continue to experience God's love, Christ's love intentionally and every single day. This is the reason why we need to spend time with Jesus every single day. 
This is the reason why we walk through those pathways, not just through this series. This is why we need to examine our family history. This is why we need to work through uh, some of the hurts and pains and disappointment in our lives and let God redeem those things. Because your capacity to love others is directly proportional to the amount of love that you experience from Christ. I want to make sure you get this. Your capacity to love others is directly proportional to the amount of love, the experience of love, the depth of love that you experience from Christ. And the more our bucket, our hearts is full of Christ's love, the more we can give to others. Here's an image I want to give you. Imagine you have a planter to go water the plant, but there is a hole at the bottom of that planter. It doesn't matter how much you fill it up. If there's a hole, it keeps leaking and you can go around and just keep pouring it. Before you know, you're running out of water. The same thing is true for us. For many of us, we are going around trying to love others with a leaky planter. Trying to love others with, with a leaky hole in our hearts. And what that means is that every single day we need to come before the Lord and say, God, we need your love. In fact, I'm convinced that the way that we can be spiritually mature as we look at this passage is that we need to recognize we ourselves, we ourselves are that man who is half beaten, who is half dead, beaten by robbed by our enemy. And Jesus is that good Samaritan who rescued us, who bound up our wounds. See, you and I have been battered by sins. We've been robbed of our joy. We've been robbed of, 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 of our, our godliness, our holiness, because we have submitted to the enemy. The enemy is the robber. And when we're left on our own, we're half dead. We're disappointed by, to the world. We're disappointed at the world. We're disappointed with our own lives and we're left half dead. And yet Jesus, Talk about someone who is as opposed to his enemies of, and like the Jews and the and Samaritan. Jesus could have left us dead. But yet Jesus came from heaven to earth. He, he saw us. He went to us. And he did the unthinkable thing by dying on the cross. To pay for our sins. And he said, I will return one day. I will return one day to reunite with you. So that we may be fully transformed. That is what we need every single day to be reminded. That we were that dead man. Have dead man. And Jesus rescued us. And as such, we fill our hearts with God's love. Now we get to love others. Now we get enough love to pour out to others. Because we've been so filled with Christ's love. Here's the second one. That tangibly, we need to start taking small step of obedience to see, go, and do every single day to those around us. I want to ask Joy to share a little bit here briefly. I know she's about, she's uh, training for marathon. I want to ask her to, to share with us what her training regimen is. Cool. So yeah, um, a fun fact some of you might not know about me is that I've actually done two half marathons in the past couple of years. Um, but something I've learned from all of it is that um, even though I trained for the first half marathon, I still had to start from square one for the second one because I took like six months off from training. So 
Unfortunately, when I signed up for this marathon, I couldn't start from 13 again. I had to start back at like three miles or two miles. Um, so yeah, so my current training schedule starts off with that three miles that you see there. And I haven't even <laughs> gotten there yet. So I'm still, um, getting up there. But, um, one thing that I've also been fortunate to have during this, this training is that Hazel's also training with me. Uh, she's my roommate. Um, and there's so, so there's a lot of days when she needs encouragement to run or I need a push to run, but somehow we always get out the door to go train. Um, and that actually ends up being the hardest part is just getting started and getting out the door to go do our training. Um, but once we get started, it's like really nice to either talk or um, if we're not running together, just like listen to music or listen to a podcast if I'm running by myself. Um, so yeah, every day we try to run. Um, obviously we have these rest days, these cross where it says crosses, we'll do a different workout, like something to train other parts of our bodies um, but yeah, as you can see, it increases a little bit, um, as the weeks go by, which is, um, actually really helpful because it's like just challenging enough where I feel accomplished and I can do it, but it's not hard enough where I'm like dying at the end. Um, so yeah, so I think each day is really hard to get out the door, but we feel like really accomplished once we finish, um, yeah. And another thing that I've learned is like, because this is a race, as we finish our run, you could either slow down, like I, I call it the last leg of the race, right? So you could either slow down, keep going at your same speed. But what you're supposed to do is like go as fast as you can for the last like half mile. Um, so that's something I've also been practicing is to like speed up at the end, as opposed to just like being really lazy about finishing off so yeah just wanted to share that with you guys that um it is mentally and physically really challenging um but the way that we train kind of gives us that advantage where we're not pushing ourselves too much but we're doing it incrementally where it's um we're able to get to that 26 miles eventually but it does take a lot of time Cool. Thanks, Joy. I, uh, I thought it would be appropriate for her to share because as we think about living a life of loving others, a life of mercy, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, it's a lifelong journey that we're growing into. And, and, but, but what it does take, as Joy has shared with us, just training for a marathon, it does take every single day and doing it with others. And as we talk a lot throughout the series about being alone together, there's a role that you need to play individually, but we also need one another. As we journey, as we go, as every single day, I want to challenge you. Look and see the people around you at home, at your school, at your Zoom call. Look at them. Go toward them. Engage, invest in the relationship with them. See what they need. See what what God is uh, calling you, what, what kind of need that they have in their lives that you can meet. And think of how, how you can share the gospel with them by action or by deeds. And finally, what what can you do? What can you do? You don't, might not do 26 miles tomorrow, but you might need to do three. You might not share the full gospel tomorrow. You might need to share one point. You might not need to share the gospel this time, but you might do a, an act of kindness, which is, uh, well, I'll end on this that, uh, after next week, our anniversary, what we'll do is we're actually going to be uh, starting a new series called Bless. And there will be five practices I want to encourage you to do 
uh, to be a blessing to others. So as we end today, I want to call us to, um, uh, to, to sing together our last song. And, uh, um, it's called Build My Life. And I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to, to really meditate on. And what I want you to do today is this, as we sing that song, uh, I want you to write down the word I will in front of you, get a piece of paper. And I want to ask you as you sing, what kind of thing is God asking you to, to, to be obedient to? Perhaps for some of us, maybe we need to, uh, maybe we need to see more, see the people around us more because we're so busy doing our own thing. For some of us, maybe not seeing more, maybe some of us, we need to go to them more. We see what's, what people need, but we're, we're unwilling to go toward them because we're trying to go away from them. So we don't have to be bothered. We don't have to do the work that we know that God has called us to do. And for some of us, maybe we just need to put into action to actually serve the people around us. You know the need. You know what they need. Maybe we just need to step up and actually go and serve those people. And so here's what I want you to do. I want to give it as we sing. I want to encourage you to take some time to respond to God. Write it down so that you will be, uh, as the Spirit of God, remind you and call you to, to live in obedience. What kind of thing is God calling you to do? So let's sing together and respond to God.